Thank you for tuning in to the First Gen Hunter Podcast, the go-to resource for those seeking to establish a foundation in hunting knowledge, skills, and tactics. In today's news, Florida man shoots giant buck. I don't know if that actually happened or not, but it certainly could have. You know why? Because Floridians have had their deer season open since July 30th. Yeah, my mouth is hanging wide open right now too. But don't worry, Florida. I hope you're cleaning up right now. I hope you're absolutely having the best hunting of your life. And I hope this channel this podcast has been helpful uh, with your hunting success this year even though i have zero experience hunting in july now all of you other states who get to open up in august and september don't get too worked up here your glory in the hot sun awaits you very soon for the rest of us and mostly the midwest here we got to wait till october yet we also have the same common thing that a giant storm just tried to wipe us off the map But thankfully, we're still standing, and other than some major power outages, trees knocked over, and internet knocked out, everyone that I know of is doing okay, and I hope the same is true for you. The theme of this episode, episode 14 of the First Gen Hunter podcast, is adventure. But you probably already guessed that by the title on the episode. It's all about hunting river island bucks. My friend Jeremiah Haas is truly a man of adventure in the great outdoors. I am sure you will arrive at that conclusion for yourself after you listen to this interview with him. There is so much to take away from this episode for both new and veteran hunters alike, but I truly hope all of us take away a tremendous fascination for the adventure provided with hunting on islands in the mighty Mississippi River. So sit tight and let your Huck Finn imagination run wild as you plan your own future River Island Buck Hunt. Well, hey there, Brandon. Well, hello, sir. How are you? Well, you know, all things considered, I am just fine and dandy. And I say all things considered because someone play the world's smallest violin, please. I go back to school tomorrow. Oh, man, that dreaded back to school, man. Oh, man. Yep, summer is ending. And whoever, you know, when you're like in grade school and stuff, your teachers, you know, they're, they're pulling your leg. They're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to be back. You're right. So happy to see you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You've all grown a foot since the last time I saw you as third graders. Yeah, 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 yeah. Teachers love summer break too, but that doesn't that doesn't mean there aren't things that I'm looking forward to. You know, certainly being around the students again, as long as they don't give me some sort of uh, deathly uh, disease. Yep, that, yep. You know, I'm I'm all for that. I, I have a great time with my students. Love seeing them. They're the certainly the best part of teaching. But well, does it does it add an element with you know having been out for like an extra period of time with 
COVID and everything? Or like, how does it, how does that all, you know, factor in, you think? Yeah, you know, I figure I'm pretty lucky because A, teachers kept getting paid because we kept working during the, the major shutdowns. You know, we went to online learning and talk about a total like uh change to <laughs> the work experience there but yes but um yeah you know i i was just super blessed there's a lot of people who couldn't say that you know that man yeah they, they lost their they had to go on unemployment and yep. they had you know some real hard financial decisions to make and and yep. things like that and and you know, my hat off to those people because they're true survivors that toughed it out yeah. and everything. You know, I was yeah. pr- very fortunate to to keep working and and stuff. So, yeah. but there's always a catch, right? No such thing as a free lunch, you yep, know? Yep. So now my wife, she is an ICU nurse. She's been that for the last six years now, I guess, six or seven years. Yeah. And um, so she's been on the front lines to the whole thing, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, big round of applause to my wife Caitlin. Yeah, uh, she she truly is a hero. Um, but now it's going to be like double exposure, you know, because I'm heading back into right. the back into the fray here. And uh, yeah, yeah. If anything is true about schools, they are petri dishes for disease. You know, every year I get like some kind of crud, and and so um, I'm just. You know, hoping that between the two of us, we don't, we don't bring back uh, um, COVID to our our uh, kids. So, but yeah, you know, right. God's taking care of us. I I know He will even through that. So it's not like you know I'm like freaking out about it or anything. And yeah, sure, and, sure. Uh, you know, fortunately, most people we know have been have stayed healthy and everything. Certainly, I think everybody yes. at this point knows some people who've been affected. But yep, but um, yep. You know, God's been good, and uh, Amen. Every everything should be uh, good to go. The hard part, though, I'm t- telling you, man, I'm going to be busier, and yeah, and uh, we're still going to just have to make this thing happen on at least a weekly basis, man. Because Absolutely. this is this is therapy, right? Well, this, and see, here's the thing. I mean, like going, you know, here's the thing. Me growing, you know, when I was growing up, you know, it was like, man, school's coming back, but. but deer season is coming so it was always a it was always like that well you got to go back to school but yeah but if you don't go back to school you're not going to get into deer season so it was kind of a it was kind of a nice you know exchange because you know usually had here in delaware you know it starts september so we usually do that like labor day hunting you know we do like that that saturday before labor day labor day and then you can kick off the school year and then you're just you're just jazzed about getting into the season cooler temps starting to see signs Mm -hmm. so i mean that's that's the that's the cool part about it you read my mind brother (laughs) that's that's what i've been that's what i've been thinking for months now it's like yes you know it's so crazy how fast the the past five five yes five months have gone you know um back when when the whole shutdown started we were just what a month and a half removed from closing day of deer season yeah Yeah. and now here we are a month and a half from the start of the next deer season. Crazy, pretty, man. Pretty crazy how how yes. fast that time went. But it was good, you know. It, it, I yes. was able to u- utilize my time well and, and had mm-hmm. a just a phenomenal year. And one of the biggest benefits out of all of it, there's very, very, very few people who, 
it's not like I had all the time off, right? The, yeah. the majority of the time was, yes, doing still doing school stuff. But I got to work from home, yeah. be around my kids. Mm-hmm. So maybe mm-hmm. I should phrase it this way. How many times in, in the history of public education in America has has there been where teachers have been able to be home for five yeah. months and be paid for those five months? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And well said. we don't get paid for the summer because, well, we're not working, but mm-hmm. our paychecks are stretched out from a nine-month, you know, employed yes. status to 12-month. And so... Yep, yep. So, uh, you know, it's just nice getting that steady pay and having that time yes. with the kids and, of course, uh, working on first-gen hunter stuff. So hopefully yes, uh, helping right. all the uh, first-gen hunters tuning in and all the veteran yes. hunters tuning in. Amen. Man, we've had some great shows. You know what? So, yeah. Sometimes I just like, you know, I like to look at what our lineup has been, what we have coming yes. up, and it's just like, wow, we're pretty lucky. Yeah. I've we, learned we I've learned so much from Same. from the people we've been interviewing and from you. Yes. Um Yeah. Man, so many things that have changed how I'm approaching this deer season. Awesome. Based on what we've been hearing from from um the people on on Yep the show yeah um just yesterday actually so if you've been following me on instagram you will know that i finally broke into the cell cam world finally i tried to last year but some some uh sleazeball uh ripped me off and never sent me my camera Mm. and uh took my money and ran um so this year i officially got into the cell cam world nice and um I uh, was was uh, <clears throat> able to get it all set up. It's a crazy week. Like this past week has been like scouting. I don't even know what you want to say. Like probably a world record in the amount of scouting done in a week. Yeah, not really. Yeah, but but for me certainly. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. So we were out in New Hampshire. Let's see. Today's Sunday. We left a week ago right about this time. Okay. Maybe off by an hour or two. But we headed back from New Hampshire. Yep. We have little kids, so it's best if we leave in that those hours, you know, right after supper, so they fall asleep and then they sleep most of the drive, or at least a big chunk Mm -hmm. of it. Drove from Mm -hmm. New Hampshire to Iowa. Yep. Got home at like 10 Mm a.m. So on I guess it would be what Monday, yeah, Monday, yeah, Monday. Got home 10 a.m. Monday. Mm. Then at it was either like two between two and four o'clock. You know, it might have been three o'clock, three three thirty range. I okay, guess, I guess that would be between two and four o'clock. Duh. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready for school. I know math. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, but left around three three thirty. Headed to my most remote property that I hunt, which is nearly five hours away. So my wife and I are like trading off driving. Originally, I was going to go by myself, but I think everybody knew that was. I'm I'm a as Jake has has testified about 
in his interview, episode six. Yeah. Um, I don't do so hot with staying awake while driving at night. <laughs> yeah. Same. So same. Uh, I get super sleepy. Uh, yeah. the, the old narcolepsy starts to kick, kick in, you know, yes, and, right. and, uh, I just get so tired. So I think my wife knew that it was, you know, probably going to be like, uh, uh, Titanic type mission. If I uh, went by myself, um, yeah. So she was gracious enough to come with me, but she was dead tired too. The kids were mm-hmm. tired, but you know, they they fall asleep in the car and they wake up oh, and they're yeah. there. But but yeah. um, so we drive out, stay in a hotel. Kids thought the hotel was amazing. It was really cute. Uh, they were like, yeah. you know, bugging out about we're in a hotel, you know, type thing. And <laughs> pool was closed, of course. Uh, but but um, they enjoyed they enjoyed being in the hotel and then. The reason I had to like be this timely with with doing things and so crazy with the schedule was because you might remember in previous episodes I mentioned that I had set up a meeting with an Iowa DNR forester and yes. a county NRCS worker. And um the the meeting was set for it would have been Tuesday. Okay at 8 a.m. So uh, the Forester wanted to be there in the early part of the day because to avoid the heat, which, hey, I'm all about. You know, I'm a morning person yeah. anyways. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but that made it a tight schedule. And it actually ended up being like a high of 75 that day. Like th- yeah. this whole last week was like heavenly weather. It was yeah. It was low to mid seventies all week. It was just wow. I think I think it had oh, to do with goodness. the hurricane. You know what I mean? That's it's amazing. Like, like that to get that amazing. kind of weather in August. Yeah, that yeah. was that was phenomenal. But so anyways, met with them. We uh walked around the property, checked out checked out uh some work we needed done on the the farm ponds that I told you about that were Yep had a big fish die off and um then we uh went and looked at the the timber and uh just kind of walked through and she, and she uh forester she told me you know here's what you could do here here's what you could do there um yeah i would cut down these trees i would definitely leave these trees i would get rid of this invasive plant and just right on down the line, all this super helpful stuff. And the best part of it is um, when you uh, ask a forester to come do this, they they write up a big report, like a 15 to 20-page report that they then yeah. mail you. So she's okay. going to mail me this report with GPS coordinates as to, you know, hey, here's where I'm, this tree was at that needs to come yeah. down or this one you need to help, you know, you need to mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. get rid of these trees around it or, or whatever, you know, she's, she's going to send this big report with all of her recommendations <clears throat> and then we can go ahead and, and, and start, uh, rolling on getting that work done. So learned an incredible amount of information on just like, forest health and man that's awesome and even just our our property you know where we hunt and and yeah what what's going on there and and uh yeah it was it was uh really a, a positive thing and and uh found some new spots where I, I could probably hunt that would offer some better opportunities while i was there sweet and yeah so then anyways 
came blasting back from there. As soon as we were done with that meeting, we headed back and I went to, um, another property that was five hours away from that one, but back close to my home, you know, not yeah. far from my house and put up my cell cam. And, um, that night got a nice mature old buck on there with some yeah, really cool, pretty, uh, yeah, you saw it. it yeah. Really cool, uh, rack of antlers on his head and, and, um, you know, it's nighttime pick, right? So hopefully, yep. hopefully he uh, decides to to be up and about during daylight hours. But yeah, yeah, you know. I, then after that, uh, so I had my wife and kids with me. Then still, again, if you follow me on Instagram, you know that you'd see the pictures. Mm -hmm. Pretty cute, you know. Jonas riding around <laughs> on my shoulders. Margot riding, yeah. riding the baby backpack. Yeah. But um, couldn't get. I got one camera checked. Couldn't get to the other camera. So I went back yesterday and uh, checked my other cam, moved one of my cams. Okay. And basically scouted out, you know, we talked about this with Noel in episode 13. And I actually texted Noel because my cell cam wasn't getting many pictures. And I was like, hey, man, uh, <laughs> I'm not getting many pictures. Should I move my cam? <laughs> and basically he talked me off the ledge, right? He was, he was like, it hasn't been there that long. You'd probably be just be surprised with like your regular trail cameras, you know, how long it could be before a deer walks right by that exact spot again, you know, yeah, and yeah. he made a ton of sense. I also texted uh Cole Young who had, you guys don't know who he is yet. Awesome guy. He'll be on episode, I think I said episode 17 at some point, but I think he's actually going to be episode 16. And, right. um, yeah, he's like, you know, could be a reception thing. Um, but basically between the wise counsel of those two much more seasoned hunters than myself um, mm -hmm. that that both have, you know, a lot of experience with cell cams, you know, they, they were able to help me. And, and so I left it yeah. alone. I left it alone. So it's awesome. we'll see if I, uh, see if I start getting some, uh, good, good pictures again. Like that first night though, I got like, I don't know, I think at least three different bucks, two nice. of which were, were like nice, you know, good quality bucks. Yeah. But, um, I was worried that the cam was spooking them. I don't know, but I've also mm -hmm. figured, you know, if it's sitting there for like, there's the, the, the seasons are still like a month and a half away. I, yeah. Like, yeah, it might spook them now, and yeah, some deer might just let out of the territory, but I got to think that that uh, um, most deer will just get used to it, you know? For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so it's in a good spot, though. It's, it's uh, you know, I like where it's at. It's right on the edge of a bean field. can see nice and clear. The only bad thing about it, and I think uh, Chris Dyer mentioned this episode 8, I made the mistake of like facing it towards the sun, the mm. west, the western sky. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, I'll I'll take it because really it's only a problem at sunset, and um, I was able to put it in a spot that wasn't super intrusive, which is what I was worried about. Yeah, I, I yeah. didn't want to because I was putting it out there kind of late, you know. Again, still a month and a half away, but yeah, sure. You know, I'm there with my wife and kids, and I'm sure I reeked of Casey's Pizza from uh, 
Oh man, dude, when you get out here in the land of Casey's, you're going to know what I'm talking about. All right. Oh, I'm excited. Yeah. I'm going to treat you to Casey's pizza. Nice. So awesome. whenever that ends up being, yes, we're, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to treat you to some Casey's pizza and you'll know exactly right, what I'm talking to that. about. Yeah. Good. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we should try and get a Casey's sponsorship on the show. I think hey, we, there you go. That, that would be sweet. You know, I, I like I'm a that. huge fan of Casey's. I go there. Yeah. I go there whenever I can. Great Iowa company, great pizza. Nice. Generally pretty cheap gas too. So all right, yeah, I like it. I like it. But um anyways, so I put it in a spot that I could access easy if I needed to 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 like adjust something um for like better signal strength or something or because mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I I hadn't used it before, so I was you know, wanted to make sure I could get to it. But in all this activity yesterday, moving cameras and stuff, I think I found like legitimate great access to hunt nice. near that cam. Oh, and, good. And uh, yeah, I mean, it it cuts right through the heart of a timber part, but it's a creek bed, like a intermittent creek creek bed that's like, yeah, like deep uh, banks. So so like um, you know, I it, the banks would be well above my head. So I could, I could like walk right through there, you know, and, and yeah, there's like yeah. hardly any water in it either. So it's not like I'll be sloshing around and stuff. Right. Yep. Yep. So I think, I think, uh, things are looking good and that'll be, that'll be like, again, what Noel said in, in episode 13, that'll be, uh, a, a good spot to, um, like hunt from the outside in. And you and mm-hmm. I have talked about that too in episode yep. five, yep. you know, we're talking about stand placement and, and, um, uh, we both just mentioned how that's kind of how we like to hunt, you know, gradually yep. turn up that pressure, get to those, get to those higher quality spots. And, you know, something I was kind of thinking about, and again, I think I say things on here sometimes where you're just patient with me or like, dude, I've known that for 20 years, but no, it's you, good you, to revisit the stuff, man. You, you act, you at least act like you're surprised by what I say. So I appreciate that, man. <laughs> but, but, um, one of the things I was thinking, because I'm like, you know, do you get that feeling when you're driving to your property to go do all this work and you, you know you have such a limited window of time? You're like, oh, maybe I should do this. Or no, 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 maybe I should do this. I don't know when I'm going to yeah. be back here. And oh, I don't know. Maybe I should just leave it how it is. You're like going back and forth, back and forth, back and yeah. forth. Yep. You know, maybe I need to check out this spot, see if I should hunt there. Maybe I need yep. to, you know, all that stuff going on. And one of the things that I thought of is like, all right. When you, if you break down a property good enough, you know, all properties, you know, we'll say of like the 100 to 200 acre size yeah. have probably three to five like high quality hunting spots, right? Yeah. And if you can kind of set up during the summer, you're scouting for the early season to address three, we'll say two to two to three of those spots. Yeah. Kind of again, working with that, working from the outside in. Yep. Then you're crossing things off the list naturally that will set you up as you move towards the rut. So, right. So, if I set these things up to see, well, 
you know, am I going to kill a deer early season? I don't know. Maybe no deer are going to walk by me. Well, if no deer right. are over there, well, then I know I'm not spooking anything. Yeah. And yeah. I can then, as the season advances on, getting closer to the rut, I can start my inward progression towards those more intrusive areas. And I will have already crossed two to three of those five areas that I identified as being good deer hunting areas, I will have already crossed those off my list because I will have sat there enough. I will have had cameras there enough. I yep. will have, I will have observed it enough that I'm basically answering all those questions I had back in July or August where mm -hmm. I'm freaking out while I'm driving there wondering what I should do. And so, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense or not. I don't know if I was clear yeah. enough there, but yeah, yeah. but it's it's a it's a natural way of basically creating that checklist to get you set up. So yeah. Anyways, it made me feel better when I looked at it that way. But we should probably yes. talk about what this whole episode's about. Yes. This is like if you've ever read Huckleberry Finn, I want you <laughs> to like go back to the wonderment that you experienced during that because Samuel Clemens or Mark Twain as he's, his pen name is uh, more commonly known, I suppose, painted such a great picture. He's one of the greatest writers, right? And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, man, the amount of adventure in that story, right? And, yeah. And just all the crazy things that happen in there. Yep, yep. This episode taps into that same sense of adventure that that lies within all of us who love mm. to hunt and fish and be in the yeah. outdoors. Yeah. The title of this episode is called River Island Bucks, and it means exactly what it is. Yes. The guy we are interviewing, I was just telling this to my wife the other day. I was yeah. like, you know, this, sorry, Jeremiah, this is probably going to, you know, like, like, uh, make you feel awkward or something, you know, like somebody's <laughs> talking, you know, talking you up, but you deserve it. He deserves it for sure. He <laughs> yeah, is like sure. the world's most interesting man. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like sure. the guy does such cool stuff and, and, mm -hmm. um, from, from, helping reestablish alligator gar in the state of Illinois. Yeah. That's pretty cool to, yeah. uh, um, uh, developing the walleye fishery in the, the area where I live here, the quad city area, which yeah. is a, a really significant fishery here. Um, he'll talk about that in the episode, just, uh, how, how, um, I guess maybe privileged uh, we quad cityans are with uh, fishing resources right here around us in the Mississippi River. Yeah, and he is a big buck slayer. I yeah. mean, the guy just get, super knowledgeable about yeah, so much. Yeah, I mean, man. Yeah, and, and he's got a cool job title: environmental yes. chemist. You know, that's just yes. How cool is that? But he, he, <laughs> right. he would tell you, and he does say it in the in the show, although that's his job title, he's much more of a fisheries and even to some extent, I mean, with his work with bald eagles. Yeah. Yes, the guy works with bald eagles. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah. what, what cool thing has he not been able to do yet? But right. uh, uh, 
kind of a fisheries and wildlife biologist and uh mm-hmm. just just a uh a super generous guy with his time and yep. um his talents um i've i've participated i think in at least one volunteer event with him we actually planted a bunch of oak trees in nice. absolute torrential rain in a <laughs> in a wetland in like april and it was like I oh don't know, my goodness 40 degrees and uh, yeah. yeah you know but he was out there <laughs> helping plant trees and and um uh just just a really generous guy with his time and and his knowledge yeah. so he's going to talk to us though today about how um to hunt deer bucks mature bucks mm-hmm. on mm-hmm islands in the mississippi river and of course you know you might be like well i don't live by the mississippi river you know yeah this would apply to any yeah any significant sized river you know so ohio river missouri river um uh, i would even say uh like uh what is it the allegheny river isn't that uh over Mm -hmm. there like Mm -hmm. pennsylvania ohio region um uh, you know anything that that feeds in to one of those rivers that I just mentioned. Those are really kind of the, the big three. Of course you have the Columbia and the, um, uh, Hudson river, right? Yeah. that up and that's probably not too far from your neck of the woods, right? Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I was going to say the one Delaware of the cool things, river, right? Del- yeah. Yeah. I got the Delaware. Yeah. That's up, especially in the Northern part of, of my state. And you know, the, the kind of the cool thing that we ended up, talking you know I, I which you know i think comes up as well as you know just how islands um you know can can embody a lot of different things you yeah know, it can be an it can be an island in the middle of a field it can be you know so yeah. it's, it's yep. interesting how a lot of that information transcends you know even you know maybe maybe you're a landlocked you know hunter maybe you only have a, a you know a, a pocket of woods to hunt but maybe you've got that random island that's you know just doesn't have anything around it you know in the middle of that field and how could you approach that how could you know how could you use that to your advantage i mean some of these things really apply to those those types of things as well yeah for sure great point great point yeah so super interesting uh episode really really uh cool high level stuff here that that um jeremiah is talking about but again when i say that high level comment i say it too much but it's true. We've had some really oh goodness, yeah. excellent guests on this show. I mean, yes. just a few minutes ago, we were kind of <laughs> reminiscing about some of the past episodes and things we've learned. But um, certainly, Jeremiah does an excellent job bringing this down to a level that anyone can understand. And the temptation yes. is going to be like, dude, why are you talking about hunting on Mississippi River Islands? You know, I I thought this was for new hunters. Yeah, I would agree with you that new hunters probably, this is probably out of your wheelhouse. Not for, that might not necessarily be true for everyone. You know, who knows? Maybe you're a commercial fisherman living in. Obviously, you know, you probably know how to walk on a boat better than you do on dry land. So certainly right, you could right. probably do this right away. But, but, um, uh, one of the best things, um, about hunting my brother jake said in episode six he loves hunting for the adventure of it Mm. and that's what keeps you coming back that's what makes that's what makes people either fall in love with it 
or say it's not for them is is how they respond to that adventure, you know, that yeah. experience. And this fans the flames of adventure. Yes. Yes. Boating out to an island, finding a tree, and then mm-hmm. just watching the wildest of wild around you. Yeah. You know, that's, these are, here in the Quad Cities, we're pretty, you know, we're not huge by any means. We're not Chicago or mm-hmm. New York or LA or anything, but, you know, half a million people. And, yeah. and, um, certainly an urbanized area yet you go onto these islands and, you know, it's very wild. And so, um, well, and, and I mean, it's kind of neat too, because, you know, you figure you might be an, a first gen hunter, you know, or n- new to it, but at the same time, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't, you know, if you're, if you're really passionate about it, you're going to want to learn about these things. And you know what, you may not have an opportunity to hunt an Island of sorts right now, but you know what, maybe, you know, next year, someone offers you an opportunity to hunt a property where you have a chance to, to get a lease and it includes some water. It includes a, an island of woods or something like that. So many of these things apply, you know, and so just the ability to gain knowledge in these areas, you know, what's going to help you do. It's going to help you expand, be willing to uh, more readily expand your horizons when you get those opportunities. And that's what we talk about a lot, you know, is not, you know, not, staying in the comfort zone, you know, and, and this, this applies to really any area of life. You know, if you want to grow, if you want to be better, you've got to reach outside of those comfort zones. And so for some, some guys, it might look like, man, you know what? I would love to hunt a swampy area. I would love to hunt an area that might include some islands. Maybe I'm going to research what my area has to offer. Maybe I haven't really seen everything my area has to offer. So some of those things could, you know, even just listening to something like this could encourage some of the guys out there to really, and ladies out there to, to expand your horizon and try to get out of that comfort zone a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. We, you know, uh, again, referencing back to a previous episode, mm-hmm. um, uh, Nate Olson, uh, in our next gen episode that we did, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he kind of talked about that a little bit. He said, you know, if you want to get into it, keep pushing yourself every year. Cause if you let off the gas, you're going to yep. kind of, you're going to regress a little bit in your skills. Yes. So, yes. so embarking on another like upping the ante, so to speak, like this, you're going to become a better hunter and you're, you're just going to get to know these animals so much better by seeing them in, in these various uh, scenarios, changing it up, you know, as, as Jeremiah was saying here, you aren't eating corn and soybeans on these islands because they're not there. Right. So you got to learn to hunt different groceries as he says. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and, um, He's right. That's that's exactly yeah. right. And so certainly uh I'm planning to do this at some point. Maybe this is something we could do together sometime. That'd be that'd be really yeah. cool. Um, oh my gosh, but, yeah. But uh I, it definitely definitely uh has me has me uh thinking that this this is something I gotta try. So enjoy yeah. listening in to um environmental chemist. Wildlife, fisheries biologist, whatever title you want, Jeremiah. Uh, (laughs) River Island Bucks with Jeremiah Haas. Okay, for today's tip of the day, I guess we could say practice makes perfect. Well, really the saying is practice makes better. I guess they're both sayings. Whatever. Choose the one you like. Anyways, it's all about practice. So, what do I mean? 
Well, every day, if you have the horrible habit like I do, like right away when you wake up, you start gazing into the digital abyss, looking at the old cell phone screen, and uh, checking the weather, social media, whatever it is, a good way to make that terrible habit a little bit less terrible is by, if you are checking the weather at that point, you should make either a mental note or a note in hopefully your hunting mapping app that you have. I strongly encourage everyone to to subscribe to, to something. There's several options out there. But as you're looking at the weather, a good thing to practice is just run through where your different deer stands are on either the property that you hunt or the multiple properties that you hunt and just kind of orient yourself you know what make sure you know where north south east and west are and that kind of thing but look at look at the weather look at the maybe if you have a remote property even pull up the weather in that area and just start going through your mind okay if i was there today if i wasn't going to work and if i was going to go hunting where would I set up today? Which stand would I pick? Which would be best for wind direction? Maybe um, if you're hunting the, the rut, which would be good with uh, a lot of traffic going on right now, plus the weather conditions that are observed. Maybe there's a big cold front coming in, so you want to uh, hunt near a bedding area since uh, deer will probably be up and about more during daylight hours. Whatever it is, play through those scenarios in your head as you're checking the weather. And the reason I encourage you to do this is because the whole deer and the headlights thing, it happens to a lot of us when we show up and it's finally that time to go hunting and we thought we had a good plan going in, but now all of a sudden we're unsure of ourselves. If you've taken the time to practice this often, it's going to be like an automatic decision when the moment finally arrives and we finally get to go hunting and we can have already walked through this scenario literally daily how we would choose to hunt depending on the weather variables that we're given so tomorrow morning wake up start checking the weather start thinking about where all your stands are start thinking about how if you were lucky enough to be going to your hunting property instead of work on that day then where would you be hunting And that's our tip of the day. And let's get on to this excellent interview on hunting River Island bucks with Mr. Jeremiah Haas. Jeremiah, thanks for being on the show tonight. It's my pleasure, Kent. Yeah, Jeremiah, uh, he crossed paths with me, I want to say... Oh, it must be like three or four years ago now already. Um, a friend of mine, a uh, guy that both Jeremiah, both Jeremiah and I know, Alex Earhart. I'm hoping to have him on the show sometime to talk a little bit about um, uh, like winter camping and stuff. Uh, Alex goes all over the place, uh, uh, out west and, and uh, up north, down south, all over North America camping and hi- backpacking. He's also a hunter. Um, but... Um, he, Alex and I, we, we, uh, started this outdoor 
recreation club at the school that we both worked at and jeremiah was one of the first people to jump in and help us and get us some attention which got the club some really cool connections and led to some really awesome opportunities for the kids in that club and um jeremiah even actually came into the school a couple times and talked about his his life and and his career as a biologist and really just fueled the kids desire to to do that kind of thing which is really cool um i know there's there was a few kids that sat in on that that were just like (laughs) that's what i want to do so uh when when you retire someday jeremiah there might be some uh, former students of mine that are interviewing for your job but could you (laughs) could you um uh could you kind of tell us about that here in a minute but before we do we got we got to make sure that you uh uh uh, know Brandon a little bit as well. Brandon is a friend of mine that goes back to the college days. Um, uh, he was l- pretty much finishing up college when I was coming in and, uh, uh we kind of got to know each other that way, but then we hadn't talked in a long time. And, and then I saw this, uh, giant buck that, uh, this, this mount, the shoulder mount that Brandon posted on social media. And I was like, there's the guy I need to co-host my show. And so, uh, <laughs> Brandon, uh, he, uh, runs a, a, uh, channel, uh, called the hunt fish life, um, out there uh, in Delaware, but it has members from all over, uh, uh, North America that are, that are, do you have anybody international yet, Brandon? no one internationally yet i definitely hope to you know to hope, hope to get there and you know uh because really the the celebration of the outdoors celebration of hunting and fishing and what we like to call the brotherhood and sisterhood of the great outdoors it does transcend this country you know it's all over the world and so we're all about celebrating that anywhere we can so definitely hoping to expand you know across the globe at some point that's awesome yeah so we're we're really excited to have you on. I, I I told my wife, I think it was this morning, it was either last night or this morning, uh, which, you know, was, I was probably pushing my luck a little bit. She's She works nights as a nurse in the ICU, and she's worked the last six nights in a row. And so I was like, I'm really excited about my conversation tonight with Jeremiah. <laughs> so she didn't, she didn't slug me, but, but, um, I, I've been, I've been looking forward to this one since, uh, uh, we, we talked last Jeremiah, but let's go ahead and jump right into, to, uh, kind of your life and, and, um, eventually your career as a biologist, but I, I think it would be kind of best here to kind of work backwards to start with. And so could you just kind of explain for the audience, just how incredibly diverse your work is as I think your official title is fisheries biologist, but as we'll see here in a minute, it goes far beyond that. Well, actually, my official title is environmental chemist, so it's even worse. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, like I said, my background is in fisheries. um, But frankly, at the so I'm at the Quad City Nuclear Station. Um, If it doesn't make power and it's somewhat biological, it probably falls on my desk. (laughs) Um, That's the the gist of it. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a, a fairly diverse background. Um, going through college as more of the fishery biologist, but I've also worked as endangered species biologist for the state of Illinois. Um, I've done wildlife work, you know, deer modeling as a wildlife biologist. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I've dabbled in a lot of different areas and it's really made me a better outdoorsman because of such, you know, and I can tell you that most fish biologists hunt 
and most wildlife wildlife biologists fish because you don't want to you know take your worm home with you all the time right so that is one thing so some of the better hunters i know are all fish biologists <laughs> um, but again you know some of those those key things that you learn professionally you know as far as observations really translate over to make yourself a better hunter whether it's identifying patterns in the vegetation or or just natural cycles so but yeah like i said at the nuclear plant we you know we've got about 800 acres i have a a wide range of trail cams so i do keep tabs <laughs> on everybody yeah um, if you have 800 acres that doesn't get hunted you can figure out there's probably a few mature animals around oh yeah um, the neighbors do know that for sure and they <laughs> hunt the edges fairly tight <laughs> um, but uh yeah that's that's kind of my background i'm kind of a jack of all trades and then on the side, I also do outdoor writing, which is kind of the uh, the Neanderthal version of, of media at this point. You know, like <laughs> I said, I'm still learning on the Skype and everything else. But uh, but no, it gives me an opportunity to go out and, and talk about the outdoors and, and really all the different aspects. But uh, no, I play in a lot of fun things. I work with a lot of rare species, alligator gar in Illinois. We do with that. Endangered yeah, that is, mussels. That is so cool. You know, basically, all aspects of the aquatic system. So it's not just raising bluegills and crappies. Right, right. Yeah, that that alligator gar project I think is one of the. You know, I I try to, and Brandon does too. I try to follow, uh, you know, uh, environmental or ecological news pretty closely, um, and that the Illinois alligator gar project, I think is just one of the coolest things that, that I've heard of recently where you're taking something that's been gone for quite some time that should be here, that, that, that was native here. And, uh, really I, the hope if, if I remember correctly is to kind of solve the, the problem with, uh, the whole, uh, Illinois river, um, situation with the, the invasive carp. Is that correct? Well, there's a lot of lot of talk about doing that, but it it most likely won't. Um, the alligator gar program was actually started for anglers. Oh, really? Know, oh, that's interesting. The, the carp, really, that idea. And frankly, it's just a numbers issue. You can't put enough alligator gar out there, right. you know, poundage wise, to make a, a a significant impact on something that can be you know a thousand pounds per acre, sure. you know, of invasive fish. So. While they will eat an Asian carp, it's not going to be significant enough to use that as a management technique. But mm. again, every time you see, a, you know, if you ever found one in a gut, that makes you happy because that's one less you have to deal with. So. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. 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 The, I've I've always wanted to just kind of uh, cruise the Illinois River sometime in a in a boat and just to just to see the the Asian carp. I mean. I don't, I've only seen Asian carp one other time. And that was, uh, I think on the Des Moines river in Iowa, somewhere in there and, uh, during a flood and it's just mind boggling how high those things can launch out of the water. And then you just then go to their, their effect on the, the biodiversity and, and, uh, water quality and, and some of the native species that, that they affect. And it's just crazy how much they eat and how prolific they are. And really it's in their minds, North America was a match made in heaven for them for, for habitat. And so. Well, and it really was, I mean, the Chinese have come over many times to try to study why they're successful here because they're trying to get them reestablished back on the ANC, you know, in some of their native rivers, which are huh, that's really interesting. And, you know, 
dams, you know, have really degraded the river. So it's kind of funny. We're trying to kill them. They're trying to restore them. And <laughs> right. like you said, it's kind of a match made in heaven there. Right, yeah. right. But, uh, yeah, it is impressive to see that much biomass in the water at once, especially when you use fun toys like electrofishing boats. <laughs> you can shock the water and they'll all jump at once. <laughs> I know there's plenty of YouTube videos out there showing that. So Yeah, yeah. I've been there, done that. So. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, man. Yeah, so... So, uh, like you mentioned, your job has, has gone well beyond, uh, just, just dabbling with, with, uh, the, the fishing side of things. But one, one thing I kind of wanted to point out, and you mentioned how you, uh, you are, um, your work is, is mostly centered around here in the, the water systems in the quad cities. And, and I think most specifically the Mississippi river, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, Northern Illinois, I work on all of our Exelon bodies of water. But, yeah, I mean, without a doubt, the Mississippi River is my baby. Yep, yep. And I remember one time in a presentation that that uh, you were doing for some of our students a few years back, um, you kind of talked on how unique the – really the quad city region of the Mississippi river was for fishing. And I think it was something to do with the, it's a, one of the few places that has had a professional level angling tournaments in multiple species or something like that. Yeah. So I actually will have it again, COVID, you know, as long as COVID allows such, but uh, we'll have, uh, I believe it's Cabela's National Championship here in October for oh, walleyes. Wow. So we've had, you know, national championships for walleye, for bass, and for catfish. And I wow. believe, you know, Port Huron, Lake Erie is the only other area to ever be able to do multiple. You know, wow. we've got three. So, uh, yeah, we're very spoiled with the resources we have here locally. Yeah. And it, it comes down to the river, you know, you know, you know, without the river and without the resources, they don't come. So it, it's a real real star for the quad cities that we have such great resources. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. In fact, I remember, um, in that presentation, you showed a magazine cover, I think from a popular fishing magazine and some guy was holding up this big walleye and you guys have like your, some kind of marking on your, your fish that you raise in your facility. And mm-hmm. you're like, yep, that's one of my, <laughs> that's one of my walleyes. That guy's holding up there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Cool. So we've been we've been stocking walleyes in the Mississippi River since 1984. Um, we do use liquid nitrogen to brand to put a mark on the side of the fish, which grows with the fish. So a fish can be seven, eight years old, and we can still identify that as a hatchery fish. It's it's similar like a fin clip or anything else. Yeah. except We put you know liquid nitrogen to do it. Yeah. Very um, cool. But, but yeah, and most of our local anglers, the diehards, they all recognize it. And so we continue doing that to this day just to let everybody know we're still around. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. I'm just hoping that state record has one when I get it. Yep, yep. <laughs> now, I'm I'm just I'm just uh, probably too much like a giddy little schoolboy right now talking about all this uh, interesting stuff. And, and we need to get to hunting here soon. But one last thing I, I, I want our listeners to hear is your work with bald eagles. I think that is just one of the coolest, the coolest things. And, uh, specifically, could you tell them the story about the, uh, eagle who, uh, uh, kind of went, went dark for a while and then all of a sudden his, uh, signal popped up. Yeah. 
So, yeah, so we started trapping bald eagles, obviously working with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, um, kind of on a, on a whim. Um, they needed some fish for bait to bait in the eagles, and, and they were driving about an hour and a half away. And I, when they came up to get bait, I looked around the trees, and we had about 30 of them right there. And I'm like, well, no reason to drive another hour. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so, so we started, you know, talked to security and, uh, we started trapping on site, and that very first eagle we caught that first morning, um, we later named Nuke. And uh, so that eagle trapped. We put a, a transponder on it. It's a solar-powered 3G network transponder. Um, let it go. It hung around the Quad Cities for about another month. Then it went to Minis- uh, Wisconsin, then Minnesota, and kept going farther north. And then finally, we just lost it. And long story short, it showed up again several months later. And it had gone within uh, 400 miles of the Arctic Ocean. <laughs> wow. And it was now back. So basically, it had not been around a 3G cell tower for, you know, whatever extended period that was. If, you know, it was four or six months, whatever it was. But, wow. yeah, it just left and then came back. And so we were able to get that data. But, uh, yeah, it just shows you, I mean, in the wintertime. And we caught that bird in February. Um, that You know, all these animals are coming to Quad Cities basically to eat, you know, mm-hmm. lizard chat on the river and stuff. So, yeah, we're very spoiled to have those resources. But, yeah, and basically that whole program of us working with them was just kind of on a whim. Hey, let's try it. If it works, great. And um, getting permits to to uh, trap eagles is not the easiest thing. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, so uh, sometimes so. it's easier to uh, work with somebody versus trying to do it on your own. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's that's um, man, those stories are just so cool. If you are a if you are a, we'll say uh, somebody who is undecided in their career yet, and um, you you like being outside, you like being around wildlife, you know that's certainly something. Especially if you're still in high school or something, start looking into now. It's it's a competitive field though, right, Jeremiah? To very very competitive. So, yeah. those those relevant experience hours are are critical. You know, another story I remember you saying was, um, how you, you've had experiences with where you've gone out with people who kind of wanted to do what you're doing and they didn't, they had all the head knowledge, but they didn't know how to put back a boat down a boat ramp. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I can tell you some very good, some very high level professionals that can't back a boat. But yeah, like I said, you can get all the book knowledge, but honestly the best way to really get into this field, uh, we call it the dirty fingernail club. You know, you got to get out and you got to see it. You know, like I said, watching it on TV or learning it from a book's great, but you need to get out and experience it and understand those little cues. You know, like I said, we start talking about hunting, you know, picking up on those little details. That's, that's really what what will be the difference between success and failure in a lot of these things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, that's, that's all awesome stuff, Jeremiah. Let's, and like, like you uh, started alluding to here, let's go ahead and dive into our main topic today, which is, um, river Island buck strategy is what, is what we're, um, labeling this. And, um, uh, what I mean by that is, uh, through talking with Jeremiah in the past, just like all these other, other stories I keep bringing up that have kind of stuck around with me that, that I thought were really interesting. I remember we were just not so much talking in the, the biologist sense, but more of a couple of hunters swapping, swapping, uh, stories. And Jeremiah mentioned that he has done some 
hunting on islands in the Mississippi River. And uh, certainly these are tactics that um, could apply to other island hunting scenarios, maybe on a lake or or even on a smaller river. But um, you might, if you are a new hunter, you might be thinking that this is this is too far out of your wheelhouse. And what I would say to you is maybe right now, yeah, maybe if you are brand new, um, you, you don't need to be looking this direction yet. But in a, a recent interview that we did with uh, Nate Olson, uh, a 2020 high school grad, he had this really wise piece of advice. He said, if you are new to hunting, don't stop. Keep keep getting out and keep hunting because you don't want to lose what you've already learned. And so what I would say is when you see something like this that sounds really cool, certainly something I want to try sometime, as you keep progressing as a hunter, and you should try to progress as a hunter, we we should look to uh, continually better ourselves as hunters. This is something you could look into down the road. And so I think it's... I think it's important that we kind of take that perspective, but then also don't make things more difficult than what they are. You know, Jeremiah, he's, he's a guy who spends a lot of time on the water and, and, uh, you know, again, the dirty fingernail club, you, you get that experience in other places and it can translate over to, to help you, uh, reach these other, these other activities. So let's go ahead and dive right into that. And, and, um, let's go ahead and, and just say, have you had success hunting islands before, Jeremiah? Yeah, I've had a, actually a lot of success on islands. Um, you know, the, the key thing there is, you know, hunting is going to be hunting whether you're on an island or if you're in, you know, uh, say you're in an island in the middle of a cornfield. You know, you got those little mm. two-acre, three-acre patches of, of yep. wet, you know, that can't be farmed. You know, those are basically islands, so a lot of those techniques are are very similar so there is some crossover there good point um but yeah i mean the animals are there i can tell you as a fish biologist how many times i've had near boat deer collisions going down the river so if you don't (laughs) think you swim (laughs) you know you especially at night i mean it's amazing how many animals i've seen cross the river so um so they're out there um when it comes to you know really looking at islands Obviously, the bigger the island, the more likelihood you're going to have, you know, better numbers there. Um, but the big thing, like most islands, uh, especially on the Mississippi River, comes down to your water stages. You know, the island is very dependent upon the water stage, especially in the in the pool systems like we have in the upper Mississippi River. Sure. You know, if the river level's at 6 or if it's at 15, completely different things to hunt. Um, there's been many times I've deer hunted right next to duck hunters. You know, within a hundred yards, Wow. Mm-hmm. you know, and the deer are looking right at, you know, at the duck hunters as I'm watching them walk by. So, um, they're used to seeing traffic out on the, on the river. So seeing boats are, is not a big deal. Um, but the big thing on scouting is, you know, I'm looking for sign, you know, some of my favorite islands are pretty good size and they look like cattle paths. You know, the deer are pretty regimented. They're going to find those high hills and high spots. Um, the does are going to be out there if the groceries are there. Um, they will eat nettles and all the things you don't want to walk through. <laughs> yep. But that's, you know, like I said, these are a lot of the same skills you're going to do when you're going through any other new woods that you're walking into. It's just a little different on what the food sources are. Uh, if it's been flooded for three months, you know, when it comes back down, there may be a couple animals out there. But 
honestly, you're probably better off to try a new spot, you know, like I said, because you just aren't going to have the, the animals out there. But, um, you know, the other thing that you mentioned for new hunters in particular, a lot of times these islands are public ground. Right. And as public ground continues to be pressured and pressured, you know, finding these little honey holes, you know, if you can keep quiet about it, you may have yourself a nice little spot to hunt once you figured it out. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I spend, I actually, I'm fortunate to have some really nice ground I hunt a lot now that's adjacent to the river. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you that several of my bucks that I, that I, during the rut, know that are coming up there, they summer on those islands. I've seen them out there. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Again, you got the pattern change there too, um, depending on what the water's doing. And the Mississippi is a fairly violent river as far as the change right. um, in height, so you can have some big displacement there. But if you're in Mississippi or Louisiana or Arkansas, you may not have that big a difference. Plus, you got a lot of wet areas down there. So, yeah. Uh, and here in Illinois and Iowa, you got the CWD rules. You got you know which side of the channel you're on as far as which tag you need. So there's there's a little bit of things that will complicate your your process for going through that, but all in all, it comes down to just everything else for hunting. Just being aware of the of your surroundings, realizing that they're looking for different groceries. Um, make sure you have extra ratchet straps because when you're down there in those big cottonwoods, they might be you know <laughs> you might need 15 foot strap. In order <laughs> that's, to get that's true. I never thought of that. Yeah. yeah, and you do need to get off the ground. You know, some guys like to hunt. But on the ground on those islands, for me, and I'm more of a bow hunter first than a, than a shotgun hunter. Sure. Um, I hunt shotgun just like I bow hunt. So my shots are, you know, 30 yards or less. But I like to get off the ground because a lot of times those weeds are eight foot tall. Yeah. yeah. And you can't see them if you're on the ground. You know, they can walk yeah. right by you. Versus you get up high, those deer feel secure, and they'll move all day. Yeah. So yeah. you can re- literally hunt all day in some of these islands. So it's a different hunt. And you can be very successful and... I've I've seen some very nice animals out there. I'll say, harvest <laughs> <laughs> couple. So, yeah, that kind of that kind of brings me to my next question here. And and you've you know you've talked about a little bit with your experience seeing them cross the river while you've been cruising along in your boat, maybe working, maybe for pleasure, whatever. But w- when you first decided to get into this. Was it more something that you hypothesized, like you kind of started putting the picture together where you're like, you know what, I've been seeing a lot of deer swimming across the across the river, and um, I mean, I know that there's good habitat on those rivers at different times of the year, or on those islands d- during different times of the year. There it might be a good place to deer hunt, and then you, you know, maybe maybe you were scouting or maybe you just went out to say you know what i'm going to try and hunt it today and then you just kind of found out that way or did did you just kind of always know that yeah there's going to be a good deer herd if the conditions are right well i you know you know there are deer out there that i knew through observation but to be honest the reason i started to hunt in the islands is because i got tired of dealing with the the terrestrial on public and they opened some new islands to open to the public and that's what um it was about 2,000 acres they opened up and uh that i was like you know what i don't have to bump into anybody i didn't have to worry about somebody walking in on me right away so it gave me a chance to get away from the crowd and yeah. really since it was undisturbed it allowed me to observe that in a quote-unquote natural situation and how those deer are going to react now I can tell you after a year or two, people hear about it. You get more people out there and it gets tougher and you kind of have to sure. change your tactic with it. 
Um, but no, the reason I went out in the first, cause it was out of necessity. I was just tired right. of fighting, having the guy walk in a half hour after first light you <laughs> know, and setting up a stand 30 yards from me. Yep. And you get frustrated with those things. Yep. Well, and I, and I would imagine too, I mean, I love what you said about the, the state side of things, you know, out here in Delaware, we've got a lot of state land and there's a lot of hunters that, like you said, they're, you know, they're, they're weekend warriors. They're, you know, maybe warrior isn't the best word for it actually, but, <laughs> but you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to hunt those classic spots, but finding those, those different areas, those Island type setups, those unique setups is big. And I would imagine just some thinking about it, you know, I, I've never had the, the opportunity to hunt like a true Island, you know, wooded Island, as you mentioned for sure. But I would imagine one of the cool things about hunting an Island is you, you kind of, you, you can really control your approach a lot differently than, than, you know, strictly being land-based. Where have you, have you seen success with that in terms of the wind direction and, and, you know, controlling your approach? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have to, and like I said, the nice thing about being on water is you have better access routes. Your entry and exits are better. Um, yes. Plus, the animals are used to hearing boats. At least in mm-hmm. our sense, mm-hmm. there's a very commercial section, so they don't they don't get alarmed on a, hearing a boat or even a boat stop because there's fishermen out there all the time. You know, the crappie yes. fishermen are out there or something. So yeah, or the duck hunters. You know, they don't even get alarmed on a shotgun shot. Because they used to hear the duck hunters firing off all the time. Right, so, right. Yeah, it really allows you to be to be super, you know, sneaky on getting in and out. But at the same time, you better know those bedding areas when you are getting in and out. But you know, mm-hmm. a lot of my spots are only twenty yards off the river. You mm-hmm. know, if you'll notice, if you do some scouting on most, at least bigger islands, you're going to know there's a parallel trail that's that's five yards off the, the river. And there's going to be another one that's 30 yards off the river. And they're going to go to those those pinch points. You know, one of my mm-hmm. favorite on all those islands are pinch points between inland lakes, you know, where it'll narrow down to 50 yards. And there's a great big cottonwood in the middle. Boy, yes, you can almost guarantee I'm going to be in that. You know, I got a 25 yard shot on either side because the deer will parallel. Um, just like a road, you know, in terrestrial mm-hmm. setting, they're going to parallel the waterways. So you're going to have that one that's up against the water and one that's farther in. Um, but what I try to do is find pinch points, um, because they're not going to deer are lazy, just like people, they're going to walk mm-hmm. around a pond versus swim across it. So you got natural yep. concentration points and especially during the rut. And that's where I, I like to really hunt islands for the bigger animals. Um, you know, they're really cruising a lot. So you'll get a lot of traffic through those areas. Um, yes. you know, the one thing you have to worry about, though, is variability of winds when you get in sometimes like the bluff sections of a river. You know, those yep. winds can change up. And if the winds change on you, you need to move. And the main things are making sure that you've got your entry routes figured out so you're not putting scent out. That you're, you're not. One big thing is don't park your boat where the deer cross. Mm. They mm. will notice that there's somebody parked where they normally cross. And you'll be able to tell where deer like to cross in and out of island. So I try not to use that. Um, a lot of times I would park on banks that were heavy banks where my boat was hidden, you know, not that they sure. won't recognize it and just go around it. Um, but again, those smarter deer, they're going to recognize something's not quite right. And all they have to do today is be a deer. So they're going to go off and, you know, do their thing outside of where you'd like them to go. So, mm, but yeah, sure. like I said, pinch points, um, vegetation, groceries, all the same things you're going to do terrestrially. It's just recognizing that they don't eat corn and soybeans and stuff out in the islands and you know what are they really keying on so yeah now do you find do you find that 
that I mean, you know, some of them, you know, if they're on these islands, they they may be there for an extended period of time, depending on the time of the season and whatnot. Do you find that they react uh, differently to the pressure side of things, being that it's such a confined area? Yeah, I mean, if if you blow, you know, it's like just like a buck on on normal ground. You know, if you mm-hmm. you blow him out, he's going to leave. You know, he's going to yeah. smart up. So um, they will react to pressure. And what I've done out there is I actually had to change my tactics as there's gotten more pressure on the island to actually hunt the hunters. Mm-hmm. It is amazing how many guys are afraid to run in the dark, mm-hmm. so they will pull up to the nearest piece of ground they can from the boat ramp. Right. Uh, wind or downwind it doesn't matter to them mm. because mm-hmm. they've not taken the time to scout to use your gps and stuff to know where you're going you know yeah. there it's, it's a bit of laziness on their yeah. part but you can sure. use that to your advantage right you know, um the first time i did the shotgun season on that particular island i'm thinking of um i had to run two and a half miles maybe and i literally parked my boat and deer were running jumping in the water next to me and i took my flashlight and looked at him um including one with a great big split g3 that i really wanted to (laughs) jump into my boat because he was running away from the hunters that were upwind because they didn't take the time to use hunting sense that you don't want to enter the woods upwind wow really stunk because he was flying that particular (laughs) deer Uh, but yeah i mean it's it's the same things and there's always going to be you know, poor hunting practices on any kind of public land. But with water, you just have a little different degree of difficulty and people that are um, not comfortable running in the dark. So that's where the fish just comes in nice. You can, you know, you're comfortable with those things, but same rules, just a little different tactics. Now, do you, do you find any success? I mean, this, I really have no idea. I'm very curious, depending on the time of the year and, and the, you know, maybe the, the shot opportunity, within a certain spot, you know, I know that you said that the deer are pretty familiar with boats, you know, they, they see the traffic and whatnot. Does it ever make sense to anchor off of a specific spot of a specific Island and kind of wait for, for a deer to kind of go through a, a, you know, a travel area to get a shot from the boat or, or not typically? Well, I know guys that have seen deer on one Island and they know that it's going to go to the next one on those travel mm-hmm. routes. Um, mm-hmm. I, I haven't done that personally. I know guys yeah. that have that are that are very successful hunters yeah. that have done that. Um, like I said, for me, you know, and I do use trail cams out there, which obviously can walk away because it is a public area, right? But sure. It's, but it's like your stand at your favorite, you know, farm. Once you find a spot that they like to travel, mm-hmm. I've got a GPS lock on that. I can walk it in the dark, and it's going to be good all the time. Yeah, you know, especially and I, to be, I try to stay off the islands when it's hot because I'm right. not a big fan of mosquitoes. And mm-hmm. I will not use mosquito repellent on my hunting gear. Yeah. Right. And so you really need for it to cool off. So I usually won't come out until November That's until a good it tip. starts to cool off and the bugs and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, as far as time of year, and that doesn't mean there hasn't been a month's worth of pressure out there already. Um, sure. The only exception I make to that is the first cold front of the season. The first mm-hmm. time we hit 32, guaranteed I'm going to be in a stand. Yeah. yeah. You know, because it's going to get them up and get them moving. And yeah. that's the same there on the islands. You don't have to worry about the bugs in the morning. Um, mm-hmm. And that first morning afterwards, uh, or the first snow, you know, that's another one. I'll be out there because they get pretty dumb on those. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That, you know, that kind of brings me to, to another thing I wanted to ask you about specifically. 
Uh, you mentioned November, and and here in the Midwest, of course, it's uh, we had we had a guy who hunted much of his life down in Mississippi, and now he lives in in Iowa. But uh, their rut, of course, is I think more like January or something like that down south. But here in the Midwest, November is is like a uh, what do we call it? Sweet November <laughs> in the in the deer hunting world. When when there's a lot when it's the heat of the rut. Is it different on the island because theoretically does can be a little bit harder to access um, or is it more, does it bring more bucks in when there's a hot doe out there on the island or bu- more terrestrial bucks, you know, crossing ice or, or swimming the river to, to get, to get to that doe or is it not really affected? Well, to be honest, I don't, I don't have any qualitative data to tell you one way or the other but Mm -hmm. i can tell you that when when i know the rut is going the deer will move because they're they're swimming from island island they're not familiar they're not doing their normal pattern as far as you know they've got 300 acres of beans they can make them hit the normal scrapes and check everybody they're really moving so um you know one of my favorite spots it's it's not uncommon for me to see six or eight different bucks run there in the morning wow you know and it's constant every half hour 45 minutes and they're not all you know shooters but like I said, because it, they're they're more spread out, and you've got the deer more spread out, those bucks are on their feet and they're moving better, you know. Yeah. So it's not like they're they're all holed up in some willow patch, right? You know, mm-hmm. Or something like that. They're on their feet. They're looking for that next buck, or excuse me, next doe. So yeah. for me, I think you get more action. Plus, like I, because of the high weeds, they do. There's that sense of comfort, you know, mm-hmm. and cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you are up in the tree. You know, you can see two, three, four hundred yards. You know, so right. your binoculars are, are huge. You got to always be looking. Um, you know, if you wait until you see them underneath you, you're already missed them. Right. Um, yeah. Like I said, if you if you're good binoculars and you really keep your head on a swivel, you're going to see animals moving pretty much all day. Hmm. You know, provided somebody else hasn't gone through there and you know and stunk it up for you. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. But, but really, I think you get more movement because. The, the deer are less concentrated, so those bucks are on their feet and moving, looking, versus knowing that they're off some, you know, cut cornfield or something like that where everybody's bedded down. Man, you're you're selling me on hunting islands. <laughs> now I just <laughs> well, need a I boat. <laughs> I plan on hitting them again this fall, um, you know, during shotgun season. But And uh, like I said, the potential is out there. And it's, it is a lot of fun. It's a different hunt. Uh, yeah. My brother actually requested, he's like, I want to shotgun hunt out there again because I've put him on some pretty <laughs> nice animals out there over the years. Um, <laughs> and it's like I said, it's just a little different hunt. Yeah. Um, and you got to deal with different folks. You get people to do, the one problem is you do have people that like to do deer drives on islands, which can oh, really yeah. screw up your hunt. Oh, man. Yeah. That's another reason why I say get in a tree because these guys start shooting. Yeah. Right. Know, eight foot and high in front of them they don't know what they're shooting at and right had a lot of good interaction with our local uh wardens and stuff and actually in illinois now it is illegal to hunt to do deer drives on on islands again um but there was a window there where they could because it just wasn't safe no yeah Um, yeah. and they're doing a poor job recovering animals and there's just a lot of problems with that yeah so yeah it's it's not all peaches and cream out there at times You, you see a lot of frustrating things but you know, the wildlife to see all the other wildlife while you're out there is, is awesome. Um, you know, whether it's coyotes or otters or eagles or, I mean, you know, it, it's, you're out in the middle of nature, the ducks. I mean, sometimes you see 10,000 ducks in a day and it's wow. just easy. So, but uh, yeah, if you're an outdoor lover, not even so much a hunter, 
if you're out there all day in the islands, you're going to see some a lot of fun things and have some great experiences. Now, I'm curious, too, you know, just reference to, you know, you get a good shot on a deer, you know, obviously different size islands. Have you had an experience or, or have you known of an experience where where a deer will, you know, try to escape the island after being, you know, fatally wounded and you recovered in the water, you know, anything like that? Yeah, um, I personally haven't had it. But one of the gentlemen, one guy that was with me uh, in my deer shotgun deer party one year did have a buck that tried to cross the creek and actually died in the in the slough. And it was wow. floating down the river, and so we had to jump in the boat and go get it. And it was a 130-inch <laughs> eight-point, you know, so yeah. three-year-old. And he he was going to swim that even with a hole in his lungs. And, and right. as soon as he got in the water, he filled up, and he was, you know, basically dead instantly. Right. But, yeah, yeah. So luckily, you know, it floated down the river, and we were able to pull him out and get him. So well, That's, that's awesome. Uh, glad it ended well, man. Yeah. <laughs> nice deer, too. Oh, man. So – uh, we kind of started talking about this a little bit earlier, and that is, and uh, you know, I think if we could sum this up with a, a theme here, like what's the what's the one skill that or the one trait that a good river hunter has, and that is they're not lazy because you know we talked about we're gonna only do enough homework to play it safe. Um, but another thing that where you really have to do your homework, it sounds like, is knowing which side of the channel you're on, so you know which. Mm-hmm which state your your tag is going to be legal in and and if you're over that channel line you're officially a poacher right that's correct so, <laughs> so yeah so i mean the easiest way is to check your river maps uh if in question always just you know call the dnr they're more than willing to help you out and give you some pointers on that um i can tell you like the one particular spot i like to hunt um i actually launch them in iowa dnr ramp huh. and then i hunt in illinois which, like I said, you can do that, but because of CWD, I cannot actually return to Iowa with that deer. Sure. So it forces yeah. me then to drive 18 miles down the river to an Illinois ramp where I can then take my, my deer off the river. So there are some of those things that CWD will make things um, a little more difficult to deal with. Um, I can tell you it really hasn't slowed down the pressure. Um, some guys obviously don't follow the rules to... And our, right. our favorite federal warden usually reminds him of that one way or another. <laughs> yeah, that's a really interesting point you made there just uh, on knowing that the CWD regulations, you know, that's one of the most un- unfortunate sides to deer hunting right now, I think. And I, I'm i hoping to eventually get a biologist, a state biologist on who's, you know, in Iowa. I know there's, uh, and I, I, I know there's a guy in Illinois too. I've heard him on other podcast interviews, but um, just the CWD specialists and, and kind of, you know, learn more about how hunters can be aware of not inadvertently transferring CWD from county to county or even from state to state. So it's it's a good point to to bring up and and like you said the temptation is to just not abide by it you know and the risk there is just far too high because of what CWD can do to a deer herd one one final thing i wanted to talk about with um, the island hunting we've gotten through some really good tactics here and and legality stuff and and access and where to hang a stand but safety first in every aspect of hunting right there's um from tree stand accidents to someone accidentally shooting their buddy to whatever there's there's all kinds of things we have to think about and i gotta think that when you're hunting on an island there are some additional safety considerations that got to come up is that correct 
Oh yeah. Now, I mean, there's there's two main things that I would I wouldn't say recommend it. I would almost demand. Uh, number one is you got to wear a safety harness. I know I've got yeah. a lot of hunting buddies that still do not wear those. You got to, um, especially if you're hunting alone, because you have no help. You're you're out there. There, you you just aren't going to be helped. So you got to realize that. Um, number one. Uh, number two, you usually want to let someone know which boat ramp and generally speaking where you're going to be. So if you don't show up at night, if you have motor issues and those kind of things. Sure. Um, and you never know what the river is going to do. Uh, I'll give you an example. I was uh, hunting late shotgun up there one year and I was right below one of the dams and they changed the uh, the gates. You know, and this was in December. Well, that might be a big deal when they do that. The problem is when they change gates, it broke up the ice flows that mm. were right above the dam. So I'm sitting in my stand. This is about an hour after first light. And all of a sudden I hear this metal noise. And basically what it was, was the ice chunks scraping against my boat, oh. you know, back at the slough, you know, my thin metal little yeah. mono <laughs> aluminum boat that could easily poke a hole. So yeah. I skedaddled down pretty quick and checked it. Uh, I actually ended up leaving my stand there because it was you, you, on most public ground you have to take your stand down each day i made the decision that my life was probably worth more than my stand right. i'll take the ticket yeah. for leaving it up overnight right and yeah. i spent the next two hours getting back across the main channel with my oar pushing ice out of the way just to get back because the ice was just amazing and it would basically take your boat out so it was a really yeah. it was kind of a hairy day even for me who was you know growing up on the river it's, <laughs> yeah it's a day, so um, so yes, yeah, so you never know what kind of challenges you're going to be out there, but you got to assume that number one, that nobody's going to be there to help you, you know, or even if you're hunting with a buddy, um, to make sure they know where you're at because motor issues happen even mm-hmm. to everybody that has, you know, good equipment. So again, you know, always your life's worth more than, than, you know, that deer. So always take that into consideration. Right. Yeah. That's, that's really wise advice. Yep. Yeah. And, and, you know, getting to that point if you if you take jeremiah's advice with with hunting waiting till later in the season to hunt when the weather's cooler just so you don't have to deal with a lot of the other hardships of sitting in a mosquito infested uh bog or something while you're in october make sure you have dry clothing or something if you get wet on your way in or or um you know if worse came to worse your boat did float off and you had to spend a night out there you better make sure you got what you need to to stay safe i would think so it's all about just being responsible just just like the simple safety harness you know we all have people that care about us that want to see us come back and as jeremiah said it's far more important than than having fun hunting and and even even the value of that deer so well that's uh that's that's something that I definitely want to try now. You know what, Brandon? We've been talking about doing all these hunts together. Maybe we need to do an island hunt together. That'd be, I, I, yeah. That would be so cool. We need cool. to pencil that in, for yeah. sure, 100%. That, that, that's an adventure for sure. I feel like Huckleberry yes. Finn out there. Um, <laughs> one last thing I want to talk to you about, Jeremiah, that I know that you um, uh, really take quite seriously. And Brandon and I have talked about how it's a controversial topic among hunters, and, and uh, that is scent control. And so, first of all, I know I know you you're kind of jumping into the the dangerous fray here. You're speaking of dangerous waters, right? In the hunting world, when you start talking about you start talking about uh, scent control, there's a lot of guys that, out there that say, "Ah, it doesn't matter." Uh, do, do you feel that way, or do you think that it makes a difference? Well, I'm I'm definitely on the side that it makes a significant difference. 
Um, at the same time, I've got a, a hunting buddy who killed a 168-incher while he was smoking a cigarette and swears <laughs> to me he does it. So, again, I understand. I told him he could yeah. do it three times in a row, then he would have me. But, you know, yeah, right, right. Once is lucky, twice, maybe three, no. So, I'll be happy then. But, um, but no, I, I take it pretty seriously. Um, you know, as over the last 20 years, as it's changed, you know, the scent scent lock and the carbon and the silver and we did all that um to me the the ozone has changed the way i hunt in the last you know four or five years sure um i had a buddy who swore by it he actually used two all the time um and and he had harvested some some very good quality animals um boone and crockett level and consistently mm-hmm. and so i'm like all right i'm gonna borrow one so i took one out and what convinced me I was running the unit and it was pretty warm and I had a pack of coyotes come in mousing underneath me. Wow. And they were around me for 20 minutes mousing and mm-hmm. there was no wind and they never picked me up and I'm sweat <laughs> and I'm like, okay, there's gotta be, you know, I had one coyote look over at my tree and I had my, my sticks on there and he looked at my stick a little bit and then kept going. And so to me, you know, if that many coyotes didn't pick you up, there's yeah. something there. And so I've really worked yeah. hard on it. Um, a couple key things. I use the use an ozone um, generator. Um, when it's warm, I'll use it in the field. But once it gets cold, I only use that for in my tub of clothes. You know, I'm, no, I'm that guy that drives to my hunting spot in my underwear, you know, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. dress behind the truck after I've shut it off and let the, the wind clear it and... You know, yeah. like I said, in the boots and making sure everything's perfect. Yeah. Um, and undress before I go back home. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm filling up at the gas station in my hunting clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what I found in the cold weather is the deer will pick up that ozone uh, when it gets colder. And I think because there's a there's a lack of smells in the and when it gets that cold in the air. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I had one old doe really teach me a lot. Um, <laughs> she picked the ozone and she saw me up in the tree moving as I set up one morning because I was late getting in there. And to this day, and I've never shot her because she's kind of my, my friend now. Um, <laughs> but it's been, you know, three years. This will be my third season with her this this fall. But she'll look literally at my stand when she smells that. And I've changed trees a little bit because I finally got a tree big enough that I wanted to hunt. It's only about 50 yards from where I used to hunt. Uh, but I watched her this last year literally stop walk around the point and go look at the tree I used to sit in. And she looked at that tree when she smelled that ozone and then turned and left. Wow. You know, so smart old doe. But yeah, wow. walk, they, they hit it, they smell it, they keep going. But when it gets real cold, I found that they react a lot more negative than they do when it's October and warmer. So mm-hmm. that's what's worked for me, whether you know everybody else has their own thing. I mean, if you're hunting public ground and those deer have smelled ozone a thousand times and watch guys, you know, do their song and dance in the tree. It may not work there. Right. Um, but in a setting where they're, they don't know that it's more of a natural setting. It's worked very well for me. And yeah, so I, it, it all depends on what works for you. And this last fall, I can tell you, I sat in the exact same tree for 18 different hunts targeting one buck and I got away with it. And it was a, you know at least a five and a half year old buck. Um, yeah. And so it can be done. I saw the same does every day. So again, do what works best for you. That's that's what it ultimately comes down for. Yeah, yeah, great advice, great advice. Well, Jeremiah, thanks so much for coming on the show and telling us about something that's 
truly an adventure hunting those river bucks and being in on the island and kind of like you said you know if you're somebody who just loves wildlife that's that's the place to be you know you see so many cool things and and then uh i think it's also important for especially newer hunters that are kind of figuring out their their own approach you know just the importance of maintaining their their good scent etiquette i guess maybe would be a good way to say it not just for themselves but maybe other hunters in their party you know we're only as when you're hunting with other people we're we're only as good as our our uh stinkiest guy right so so uh, <laughs> but thanks again for coming on and i know you're up in uh enjoying some uh fishing and and time away with the family right now i know you're a busy guy so we really appreciate you uh lending your time to us and and i'd uh, love to have you back on sometime hopefully when uh my uh podcasting software is uh, working a little bit better our listeners don't know this but man i've I'm, i think i'm down to about three hairs left on my head so <laughs> that was my pleasure yeah, I'm happy, we, happy to do it anytime yeah, we we really appreciate it, and and good luck this fall. I hope to, uh, you know, I'm friends with Jeremiah on Facebook, so I'm hoping I get to see. You. Although you got to kind of keep it down, like you've said before. You know, once people, once the word's out that that there's a spot <laughs> to find the big the big boys, then uh, you're probably gonna have some company. But thanks a, thanks a ton for for coming on the show, and and uh, looking forward to talking to you again soon. All right, thank you. Wow. If that doesn't get you fired up about giving River Island hunting a try, I don't know what will. Jeremiah did such a great job of explaining strategy for hunting these elusive River Island deer that I feel I could get out there very soon and give it a try for myself. A big thank you to Jeremiah, who actually lended some of his very valuable vacation time to us to teach us all about this incredible method of hunting. I hope to have Jeremiah back on the show in the future as he is a wealth of information about all things outdoors, especially deer hunting. A big thank you to Brandon as well for helping host the show and asking all of the good questions. Please follow him and his team at thehuntfishlife.com where you will find their links to their social pages as well as their online store with all kinds of great Hunt Fish Life gear. Please also take the time to go over to firstgenhunter.com where you will find all sorts of information about hunting, from turkeys to deer and from guns to shed antlers. I try to lend you the knowledge to establish yourself as a hunter. You'll also find links to my social media pages as well, which I hope you will like and follow. Now, get back to counting down days until the deer opener and make plans to take care of and take someone hunting.